For the last couple months in our evening services, we've been working through some of the basic building blocks of the Christian faith. And for a lot of this series, we've been following the trajectory of the Heidelberg Catechism and some of the questions and answers that it poses. You know, what's our only true comfort? What's our real situation before God? What kind of Savior do we need? What do we really fundamentally believe about God? What kind of Savior do we need? How should we live? How should we pray? What does it mean to be part of the church? And one interesting feature of the Heidelberg Catechism, although it covers a whole range of things, it doesn't actually talk all that much directly about the Bible. Certainly in all it does, it tries to reflect the truth of the Scripture, but the Catechism doesn't really have us look at the Bible very much and say, what is this book? And I think part of that is that in the context the Catechism was put together in, you could more or less assume that people would agree that the Bible was somehow reliable, authoritative, useful. And I think that's not so much the context we find ourselves in today, right? So this evening we're going to spend the sermon talking about the Bible, about Scripture, about God's Word given to us. For our text tonight, we'll be reading 2 Peter 1 from verse 12 to 21. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 12 to 21. And this is God's word for us. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This text has three pretty clearly distinct parts, so we'll talk about it in three parts tonight, from verses 12 to 15, then 16 to 18, and then 19 to 21. First, in verses 12 to 15, the key point is that the Scriptures always remind us of the truth. The Scriptures always remind us of the truth. I'm going to talk this first point through in a couple parts, actually. First, we'll focus on the remind part and then on the scripture part. Three times in these first verses from 12 to 15, Peter makes the point that he will remind his readers of the truth. In verse 12, he says, I will always remind you of these things. In verse 13, he says, I think it right to refresh your memory. In verse 15, he says, I will always make every effort to see that you will always be able to remember all these things. 
Peter really wants his readers to remember what he's going to tell them. He wants so much that they would remember that he says over and over again that he's going to remind them and refresh their memory and make every effort to help them remember. Peter really wants his readers to remember the truth. He thinks if they're going to stand firm in the truth, they need constant reminders. I went to a couple of basketball camps in middle school. The main instructor was a state champion basketball coach, very, very accomplished basketball player and coach. And that camp, he didn't really care about any fancy moves, about any showing off. What he wanted us to do was get the basics right. He had a very particular way we were supposed to do every pass, and there was a certain shooting form that you stand with one foot a little in front of the other, put your elbow above your knee, hold the, hand, hold the basketball with your hands in a T, bend just like this, arc, and then follow through like that. You can probably tell how much time we spent those weeks doing that because I can still repeat that step by step even though I don't usually make the shots. But that whole week, over and over and over again, the coach and all his assistants would have us go back to the basics. We'd be in the middle of a game and they'd stop and have us practice the basics again. We'd be just goofing around and they'd make us stop and come back to the basics. They didn't really care who won any of the scrimmages that week. They didn't care how many points you scored. You got praised for refining your basic skills, for remembering the basics. Over and over and over again, they would remind us, this is what you need to do. These are the basic instructions, and you need to start here to really be a good basketball player. Peter wants to do the same thing for us as believers. He wants to provide those constant reminders for us to focus on the most important things. And we as believers need constant reminders. If we don't have those constant reminders of what's important and what we need to hold on to, we drift. We need the truth constantly put before us or we lose focus. I would guess that most of us here tonight have a pretty solid knowledge of the Christian faith, but if we don't keep paying attention to it, our commitment and our knowledge just sort of fade away. What we pay attention to shapes who we are and who we become, and so we need to be constantly paying attention to the truth. And that means we need to be constantly paying attention to the scriptures. We need to do this in part so that we remember what the truth is when untruth comes calling. And there are all kinds of lies out there in the world, all kinds of things that want to pull us away from the truth that we find in Christ. Some of these things are quite blatant. The world comes and says, why do you want to follow God when you can have more fun doing that? But there's also less obvious shifts, the times that the world comes to us and like the serpent in the garden says, now, did God really say exactly that? Did God really tell you exactly that? And if we don't know the truth well, when the world comes calling with that question, we might kind of just drift away. We also need to be reminded of the truth continually so that it's in us when hard times come. We need reminders of the truth to grow as believers. We need reminders to give us a foundation and something to hold on to when we struggle 
and when we suffer. We need to be reminded. And so First Peter tells us, Second Peter tells us, we need reminders of the truth. And then it also hints that we need written reminders. That we need not just to hear the truth from someone, but we need it written down for us. When Peter wrote this book, he didn't have much longer to live. We aren't sure too much about the exact dates and circumstances, but it does seem pretty clear that Peter is in prison and that he is about to die. He makes that fairly clear in a couple places in these verses. He mentions in verses 13 and 14, he's going to refresh their memory as long as he's in the tent of the body. And in verse 15, he says he wants the people to remember after his departure. Peter is looking toward his death, and it's probably coming pretty quickly, and he still wants his readers to remember these things. But what's interesting is some places in here, Peter uses the future tense about the reminding that he'll be doing. He says he will, he will remind them. Even as he looks toward death, he says he's going to keep reminding them. He will remind them of this truth. And so we might wonder, how is he going to do that given that he's locked up in prison and that his life is soon going to draw to an end? And it seems like what Peter wants his readers to get from this letter is that he is going to keep reminding them of the truth through this letter. Even as he looks toward his death, these words that he is writing are going to keep on instructing believers. Through these words... He will remind his readers of the most important things. The apostles, they're all long dead and gone now, right? And if they hadn't written anything down, it would be a lot harder for us to have a clear sense of what the Christian faith is all about. You may have heard of the game of telephone, or you may have played it, and the way the game goes, you get line up, or you sit in a circle or whatever, and the first person says a phrase to the second person, and it makes its way around everybody, and then you get to the end, and you laugh at what the beginning turned into in the end. So the first person might say something like, the moon is in the sky. The moon is in the sky. And by the time it gets to the last person, what they say is, the money is in the pie. From the moon is in the sky to the money is in the pie. As the phrase goes around the circle, it gets all mangled up, and that's the game of telephone. In the Christian faith, we are not playing a religious game of telephone. We aren't just repeating what we heard, and if we get it wrong along the way, it doesn't really matter. No, what we have from the Lord is clear, and part of how it's clear is that it's in this book. This book is a gift to us in so many ways. In this book, we actually have God's word in permanent form so we can hang on to it, so we can learn from it, so we can go back and keep on checking our understanding of it, so we can go back and keep on hearing what God has to say to us, so that we can pass this truth on from generation to generation to generation. Having this book from the Lord is something that keeps us on track generation after generation. And this book is also a sign to us that God cares about us and that God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. 
God loves us so much that he wrote down the promises he made for us. God loves us so much that he gave us his word. God has bound himself to us by this book. This book doesn't change. And it's in this book that we see the truth about God. And the truth about God that we're basically supposed to remember, as the next few verses tell us, is all about Jesus Christ. Verses 16 to 18 tell us that the scriptures point us to Jesus Christ. And you could say that all the teachings of the Bible, all that God wants us to know, is really summed up in Jesus. Verse 16 opens this section by saying, We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And part of the language behind that phrase, cleverly invented stories, is the word myth. Myth. And Peter is saying, God's people are not invested in myths or fables. In the ancient religious world, especially for the Greeks and Romans, they had lots of myths, lots of stories about the gods and about life. And those myths weren't actually true. Everyone knew that, and no one cared. They were fantasies. They were good stories. Sometimes they were intended to teach a particular lesson. Often these myths or fables were nice stories with a nice little lesson in them. But no one cared if it ever actually happened. In fact, people kind of expected they didn't happen. You may have heard of Aesop's fables, and they are an example of this. One of those fables runs like this. A crow had gotten a piece of cheese, a piece of cheese, and he was perched up in a tree, and he was about to eat it, but a fox came by, and he wanted the cheese. So the fox looked at the crow and started to praise him up and down. Oh, what marvelous feathers you have. What a wonderful deep black they are. How strongly you hold on to that branch with your claws. What a marvelous beak you have. Your eyes must be able to see so far. Oh, if only I could hear you sing, my life would be complete. And the crow puffs himself up over the course of this praise that goes on and on. And finally, he opens his beak to sing, or to caw, actually, and the cheese falls out. And the fox grabs the cheese and runs off and eats it. And the lesson of the fable is don't trust flatterers. Don't trust someone who's just building you up and building you up and building you up for their own gain. Now, obviously, that's not a true story, but nobody cares, right? It's a useful little story. It's kind of cute. It tells a valuable life lesson and that's enough. But Peter is saying that is not, that is not the kind of story, the kind of thing that the Bible is doing. The Bible doesn't intend to be just nice fables with little morals. The Bible isn't just myths to live by. The scriptures tell us the true story of how God is at work. And the, Bibles want us, the Bible wants us to look toward Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. These are not myths. They are truth. And it matters that they are telling the true story. And that's why Peter emphasizes that he himself saw and heard these things. In verse 16, he says, we told you what we saw. In verse 18, he says, we ourselves heard. Peter is telling a truth that he himself saw and heard. He's not making up a story. He's not telling something to entertain or to give a nice little moral. He is saying, this is the truth about God. 
And the content of what the Lord showed him is basically Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came with power and majesty. Jesus who received honor and glory from the Father. Jesus Christ who God himself declared to be his son. And it seems like the particular story that Peter is referencing in these verses is the transfiguration. That was a time that Peter brought just a few of his disciples up on the mountain, and those disciples got a glimpse, just a glimpse, of Jesus' true glory. They saw Jesus conversing with Moses and Elijah. They heard God the Father speak with this great voice from heaven and declare, This is my Son, with him I am well pleased. Peter piles up the descriptions there to say Jesus came with glory, honesty, glory, honor, honesty too, majesty and power. Peter is throwing out all kinds of words there to make the point, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the great one. He wants his readers to look to Jesus, to see Jesus as the great Lord, as the king of all things. And so this section of this book from Peter and the whole of the Bible want us to look to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're supposed to look to Jesus for our identity, for our life, for our salvation. In the transfiguration, Jesus' disciples caught a glimpse of God's glory. And in the Bible, we're supposed to catch a glimpse of the glory of Jesus so that we will follow him forever. The scriptures are an incredible gift from God to us. But the scriptures also point beyond themselves. The scriptures are so very, very important for our life of faith. But they point beyond themselves to Jesus Christ, who is the supremely important one. The Bible exists to show us the way to the beloved, glorious, honorable Son of God. This book is a true witness that brings us to the true Lord, and his name is Jesus. What we find in this book are not moral fables, not myths to live by, not stories to pass the time. What we find in this book is reminder after reminder and pointer after pointer that Jesus Christ is the true Lord and the true Savior. And so if we're using the Bible right, it should keep pointing us back to Jesus over and over and over again. That's what Peter wants to remind his readers of. That's what he wants us to remember forever, that we should look to Jesus. Finally, verses 19 to 21 in this text emphasize again that the scriptures are God's word given to us. The scriptures are God's word for us. The beginning of verse 19 is literally, we have something more sure. In the word of the prophets, we have something more sure. In the word of God, we have something certain, something we can build our lives on, something we can trust completely. And the reason that we can trust the Bible, the reason that we can trust these writings is that they've come to us from God. Verse 20 tells us that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. And verse 21 tells us these prophecies, these books of the Bible, they didn't have their origin in humanity, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
And literally, that verse goes, the prophets weren't carried along by the word of man, but instead they were carried along by the Holy Spirit and so spoke from God. We can trust the Bible because its human authors were carried along by God's own Holy Spirit. Now, that isn't to say that God just shut off the mind of the human authors and grabbed hold of their hand with the pen in it and started writing without any input from them. We believe that the human authors were 100% engaged in the writing process. And that's why we see some of the differences we do among the books of the Bible. They reflect different writing styles. They're written in different languages. They have different emphases. The Holy Spirit carried along the human writers, and both the divine and the human authors were fully engaged in the process. And the end result of that inspired writing process is a completely unique book. There is no other book like the Bible. This book is really God's word for us. And that means that we don't get to stand in judgment over this text. We don't get to decide what the Bible says. We don't get to decide which parts of it we like and which parts of it we just as soon throw out. We stand under the judgment of the text. And certainly we have to do our best to understand it. We look at the historical context. We read it carefully. We see how the different parts fit together. Reading the Bible is really a pretty complicated business. But the most important thing when we come to the Bible is that we put ourselves under its authority. Our basic attitude cannot be that we stand over the text and we tell it what to say. Our basic attitude has to be to put ourselves beneath the text and listen to, accept, follow what it has to say to us. And because the Bible is God's word for us, we can build our lives on the truth it gives us. We can trust the promises it gives us. We can rejoice in it because it points to Jesus Christ, our true Savior. And so this book from Peter tells us that for those of us who believe this book, these inspired writings are like a light in a dark place. The scriptures give us light to see the world. They give us a light to see God and how he's at work. In this dark world, this book shows us the path to God. In the dark night of our lives, the scriptures give us just a glimpse of the dawn. They point us toward Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Bible tells us that someday, someday the day will dawn, the morning star will rise, Jesus will come back, and on that day we will see the Word of God, the Son of God, face to face. We need to be reminded of these truths all the time so that we can live in the truth. We need to be reminded all the time to keep looking to Jesus. And if we use it right, that's what the Bible does in our lives day after day, generation after generation. Again and again, the Bible points us to Jesus, points us to God, and gives us a sure foundation to stand on, to know who God is, what he's done for us, and what he intends to do for us. The scriptures bring us again and again to Jesus. May we follow the lead of God's word and look always to Jesus.